We are in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. This passage that we are to read comes following Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. We're in the midst of the series, The Giver Gets the Glory, and the text that's on the wall to my left is really what was used as a springboard to move us into this series, but we've gone beyond that now, and we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're going to spend a number of weeks in the book of Acts just looking at how God um, built his church and how he needs to get the glory for the church that he raised up, how he... Um, took people from every tribe and every nation and uh, gathered a bride for the bridegroom, his son. And that's what Acts is about. And what I would encourage you to do over the next weeks is just read the book of Acts. Just read what it was like as, as the church was launched in the power of the Holy Spirit, as God sent the promise of the Holy Spirit in a new dimension and a new way to be in the church and how God God just gave what was needed for that church to rise up. And I hope your heart will be encouraged. I hope as you read it that you read it as realizing that everything is happening for the first time here as far as the church is concerned. Last week we had the first sermon that was ever preached as Peter uh, responded to the question of the people who surrounded the day of Pentecost and, and asked, what is this all about? And Peter just began to tell them what it was all about, that it centered in Christ and all that was fulfilled in the coming of Christ and what he had accomplished. And now today we move to another first, another picture of what it was like for the first group of New Testament believers to gather together. That's what we see here in this text as we look at the end of chapter 2. We see the first gathering of a local group of believers who are much like we are here, a local group of believers who gather together. And we see what took place in the midst of them as, as the church was launched here. And we look at really, I think, what characterized them. What I want us to focus on this morning is what characterized that early church. And certainly we want to learn from that and and make sure that much of that characterizes our gatherings as well. But one of the things that I see here, one of the core things that I see in this text, if you were going to tell something that characterized early believers, in fact, you find it all the way through the book of Acts. All over in Acts, you will find this, that they had glad hearts. They had joyful hearts. Look at the text here. Um, particularly in verse 46 of what it says there. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. There was a gladness within the early church that was recognizable and was distinctive about them. And people noticed, it says a little farther on there, they were having favor with all of the people. There was a time in which certainly not, I don't think, all the religious leaders, but the the grassroots, if you will, of the people. They were finding great favor with the people around them at that time. The, the, uh, um, The ratings were high right now for the church as far as favor among people. And the scripture says it clearly. And I think one of the things that was happening in that context is that people were noticing the gladness of the people, the joy of those believers, the distinctive joy and sweetness of the joy that they possessed. And I'm sure some, I'm sure some were thinking, if only, if only I knew that kind of joy as they watched them interact together in those circumstances. If you go a bit farther over into Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn there, if you've got your Bibles, just turn over to Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. There were some some people coming against the church, obviously, as you leaf through the book of Acts at different places, they began to feel pressure. And here was one of those places as Paul went to Thessalonica. Um, there was certainly a group that continued to see them favorably, but also amongst them were people rising up who were beginning to oppose them. But it's interesting how they're described here. Um, Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica they meet at the house of Jason, and, and then the Jews who were jealous, it says, and talking some, uh, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob to come against them there. And they didn't get Paul and Silas, but they did get some of those. And they dragged out Jason, who was the owner of the home, and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting this. This is how they were described. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What was causing the world to get turned upside down? What was transforming the culture around them in many ways and just turning it upside down as they said? I think, I think much of that was contributed to the, to the joy, to the gladness of those disciples. Uh, there was something contagious about what was happening and and people were coming to embrace Christ as they came around those believers and it was turning, as the scripture says, the world upside down. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, who uh, was a prolific writer and uh, for a number of years uh, was a preacher in England, said this about about the, the, the sad state sometimes that we find Christianity in today, which is not true Christianity. He says it this way, it is a sad thing that at times and for some, they see Christianity as a grievous task, as a heavy burden leading to a mournful, apologetic way of life. He would say that's not, that's not New Testament Christianity. In fact, one of the things he would say is that Acts is the happiest of all of the books in all of the world. Joy and gladness has always been a leading characteristic of 
the church in times of reformation and revival. Whenever reformation has come to the church, whenever the Spirit of God has brought revival within the church, and certainly Pentecost was one of those times when the Spirit was bringing it to the church, there is a gladness that rises up in the midst of true Christianity, of of the real thing. And when the church begins to lose it and the church begins to get insta- in- institutionalized, the church begins to go through motions, there's times when God comes and brings reformation to it and renewing to it. And whenever that comes, one of the characteristics that rises up is gladness. It's important, I think, to understand that we're not talking about a, a kind of... Um, flippant joy or flippant gladness. We're talking about a weighty joy that rises up. And that's exactly what I think happened here in the book of Acts. It was not some kind of surface kind of joy or trite kind of um, new thing that would eventually fade out. But it was a deep, weighty joy because if you look at the text, look with me in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And then verse 33 or 43 says, and awe came upon every soul. Awe, or it could be translated, you probably maybe have a translation that talks about fear. Fear came upon every soul. And yet later it says, They were praising God. There was gladness. So there was awe and gladness. Awe and gladness. And in fact, I think the deepest of all gladness, the deepest of all joy, flows out of that kind of an arrangement. It was not a kind of trifling joy they had or trifling gladness they had. It it really, if you're going to describe it, was that the early church found a safety in the midst of awe, in the midst of fear of God. They found safety in the midst of fear. They had a deep appreciation for the safety that they had found. It wasn't a safety that somehow brought God down and minimized who he was but it was a safety in the face of all that God was that they had found. And that's why it wasn't trite. Um, As we look at this text this morning, I want to walk through the four things in this text that it says they devoted themselves to. And my contention, what I want you to see in that, is that this joy, this gladness that they experienced, this... this, uh, thing that turned the world upside down was not because God was now any different than they had known him to be. But what they found was the God that they had come to know made a way for in the midst of seeing him in all of his glory, you could be safe. It's my contention in the Old Testament that never really fully happen for anybody. Even the greatest of the Old Testament uh, saints didn't understand that. Safety in the midst of transcendence. That's the best way to say it. God was still transcendent. God was still holy. God was still the creator of all. God was still the one who spoke and everything came to be. 
God was still the God that was portrayed in the Old Testament. But now they could be safe. They could be safe in the midst of that God. There is a real danger today, I think, in our world, a real danger in the church world today for you to buy into the idea that uh, the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. That somehow that God of the Old Testament gets tamed in the New Testament. Or that it's a different God. Now you probably wouldn't say that. But sometimes we function that way. We say, I like what it says in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, but I have real trouble with this God of the Old Testament. In fact, if you get in a media setting, they will try to take the God of the Old Testament and paint him in a negative way. But the point that I want to make this morning is this thing that happened, this gathering of believers that happened here after Pentecost was a gathering of believers who didn't in any way minimize the God of the Old Testament. But they felt absolutely safe now. Absolutely safe. The scripture says that they uh, they stoked that in four ways. They stoked that safeness and that understanding of that safeness in four different ways uh, that they they went about so that they could continue to realize their safety, continue to appreciate the safety that's provided in Christ, if you will. Let's look at it this morning. I want to just walk through those four things today and uh, try to show you what a difference it was for them now. Look at, look at the text again in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. It's important to understand the order. I think the order is significant in this, significant in this text. They, it doesn't start with they devoted themselves to prayer. They first of all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? I've told you before that I'm a door checker. That's my personality. I check doors. The way I've illustrated that too before, I worked in a grocery store for a number of years when I was going through high school and college. In fact, I I did a fairly good job of working in that grocery store so that I got more responsibility, even at times closing up the grocery store and taking the money to the bank and those kinds of things. I was pretty young and I I was invested with that responsibility at a pretty young age and there were thousands of dollars that I would transport to the bank as we closed the store and care for all of that. But part of the reason I was chosen for that is because of my personality. I was a door checker. In fact, one of the things that I had a hard time ever doing when I closed that store at night is leaving. There would be times when I would probably go back to the back door three times before I left. Literally, there are times when I would I would check it, but you know how you're sometimes when you check something, you're thinking about somebody else, something else, and so then you kind of begin to question whether you checked it. I'm sure there were times when I checked it three times before I left. That was my personality. Well, as we look at this text now, I mean, why do they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Because the stakes were very high. The stakes were incredibly high. The stakes were their safety. The apostles were telling them and teaching them why 
it was safe now to approach God. And the reason was, is because of what God had done in his son. You see, they went from being fearful in a kind of almost way that would freeze them to now being told they could come into the presence of God freely. They could come, if you will, boldly into his presence. They could come with confidence into his presence. It was a new way of approaching God. And all of it had to do with the work of what Christ had accomplished. And so they couldn't get enough of that. They couldn't get enough of hearing about what Jesus had done and how he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and fulfilled what the Old Testament was pointing toward. Why? Because their very safety hung on it, the truth of it. They were now believing that it was safe and they were fully and utterly safe in Christ. And they couldn't get enough of hearing new dimensions of why they were safe. That's what the apostles were teaching. The apostles in that time were teaching about how Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament had taught them. Last week, we talked about that in the book of Luke. We went to that um, message that Jesus gave to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? Remember that story as, as the resurrection has occurred and these two men are walking, Jesus comes up beside them as we pointed out last week. And, and this is what they say. This is what those disciples tell Jesus who they don't recognize as he's walking beside them. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to help us to be safe. That's, that's what it was about. That's what the Messiah was about. Safety and protection and redemption. Now, they didn't understand it all in the, in the context of a New Testament kind of redemption, but it was about safety. They had hoped he was the one who was going to come and was going to make them safe. They saw it in many ways in a military way, in a conquering kind of way, militarily against the Romans. But it was really, we had hoped he would come and be the one who would make us finally and utterly safe. And he's gone. They were undone. You don't hear any safety in their voices. All you could hear in their voices was, was fear. I mean, they didn't know what had happened. Their hopes had been dashed. And they talked about the things that he had done, but they didn't feel safe. He had not caused them to feel safe. And so what does Jesus do? He takes them, and it says down in verse 27 of the book of Luke, and Luke is the one who also wrote Acts, but Luke writes these words about what Jesus did. It says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I've told you, I I would love to have the points of that discussion. We do. I just wish I had the specific ones exactly of what he'd done. But basically what he's saying is he took all that Moses had said and all the prophets had said and comes back to them and said, he was the one. 
who will make you safe. And this is how. And so what the apostles did as they listened to their teaching, as they took the Old Testament day after day with those disciples and taught it, is they connected the Old Testament to the New Testament. And they showed how this God of the Old Testament provided His Son. And if you're in His Son, you are utterly safe. And they couldn't get enough. I went back to that door two and three times because I wanted to know the safety of knowing that that door was locked. We cry out for safety. We try out, we cry out for confidence. And the reason that these disciples again and again went back to the apostles' teaching is because it provided them the confidence that in the presence of a transcendent, holy creator who is all that the Old Testament says that he is, they could be safe. They could be safe. And it was the best safety of all. Because what good would it do for them to somehow bring God down to a point of which he is not able to protect them and then say, trust him and you'll be safe. It was the best of both worlds. They could have this transcendent God who was higher than anything they could even think he was. And he literally was the one who would protect them. And the gospel is about that. That's what the gospel says to us. We are safe. And Jesus is the declaration that we are safe. If you're in Christ, you're safe. And these people for the first time felt safe. And the reason is is how I ended last week, if you remember. Literally what the gospel is about is God saving us from God. God saving us from himself. God providing a way that his holiness and his righteousness would not consume us in our sin. But his holiness and righteousness would be satisfied in the sacrifice of his son. We've said this often, but it bears repeating. You see the justice of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God at one level terrifies us utterly terrifies us. But at the other end, if we understand Christ, it's the thing that gives us the utmost confidence. The very thing that undoes us is also the very thing that we stand on in the gospel. Because this God who is absolutely righteous and absolutely holy, who must vindicate his holiness, does it in his son. And once he's done it, it's done. Once his son pays the price for our sin, his justice is satisfied. And for him to extract it again would make him unrighteous. And so the very thing that undoes us is our comfort. That's the thing that happened for these disciples. They didn't bring God down. They didn't say, we have a new God in the New Testament. But they saw how the God of the Old Testament, this mighty God of the Old Testament, transcended above all. Is the same God who makes them safe. And if he makes them safe, the inference is nobody else is going to undo the safety that he gives.
There's no one above him. He's the sovereign God of the universe. And so the reason that they went back again and again to the apostles' teaching was they wanted to hear again and again about how safe they were. I hope that's what you go to the scriptures for. I hope as you go to the scriptures, they show you how safe you are if you're in Christ. They show you the glory of God, the glory of God in the face of Christ, if you will, and how safe you are in Christ. There's no place, there's no place to be safer but in Christ. And there's no place of greater danger than outside of him. And the fact that there's no greater danger outside of him makes being in him even more safe. You see, God will vindicate his justice. Every sin will be punished. But if it's punished in Christ, there is safety, true safety, eternal safety. That's what the apostle teaching is about. That's what the New Testament now, which is the teaching of the apostles, is about. That's what it centers in, the safety that has come now. Now we go on. It wasn't just the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves, but it says then they devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. What, what did that have to do about safety? I still say to you it had to do with safety, and it was that safety that was producing the gladness. So as the gladness rose in their hearts, as they hear the teaching of the apostles, and they hear more of it, and they hear new dimensions of how safe they were, it spilled over into relationships. And the thing that centered and the thing that was, was central to their fellowship was talking about that safety. That's what true fellowship is about. We don't have, we don't have a coalition that the church gathers in, but we have a fellowship that the church gathers in, a fellowship that at the core is united to the same gladness which is the fact that we are safe in Christ. What fellowship is about is coming around other believers to celebrate that safeness, to celebrate the glory of God in the face of Christ. 1 John 3.14 says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. In fact, one of the evidences that you have come to life in Christ, that you truly are in Christ, is that you want to be around others who have passed from death to life. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life, death, danger, to life, being in Christ, and safe. The evidence of that is we love the brothers. We, we love the fellowship. We love the other people who know the same reality. And we talk about that reality. And we strengthen one another with that reality. So what happened is they heard the apostles' teaching. And then they would gather together and they would talk about that. They would talk about the apostles' teaching. They would talk about the, the safety that they felt and rejoice together around that safety that had come to them. And then it says to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and then to the breaking of bread. What's that have to do with it all? 
I believe it has to do with the Lord's Supper. I think the inference here is that they broke bread together in the context of the Lord's Supper. And what was that about? Why? Why did they constantly break bread together? One of the things we know about coming to the table, one of the things we know about coming to the Lord's Supper is we come to do it in remembrance of Him. And so as they gathered together, as they had fellowship together, as they broke bread together, what were they reminded of? They were reminded of His death. They were reminded of the apostles' teaching about what His death accomplished and what His death satisfied and what is death allowed? Safety. So it's certainly understandable that they would come back to it again and again. It was precious to them. It would produce, I'm sure, deep emotion in them as they broke bread together. Think of ourselves as we come to the Lord's table. We'll come next week. In fact, we're going to continue on in this same text next week as we come to the Lord's table. When you come to the Lord's table, you walk into the sanctuary, what begins to go through your head? What begins to be your thought process? Do you come to think, well, there's something magical is going to happen today when I take this bread and I take this drink? Is, is God going to create some subjective experience in my life because I hold it and do these things? No. No. Not because of that but because of what it represents. Because when you come in, you, you're reminded of his death. And hopefully you're reminded of the safety it provides. One of my greatest fears today is that we really don't hear texts like this. That's why I said when you read Acts, read it for the first time and realize it is the first time. Look with me down in verse 47 for a moment. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day. In other words, he added people to the church day by day. Every day, new people were coming to gather around this gladness. But, but don't stop there. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were being saved. They were moving from an unsafe place to safety every day. And what was that move? That move was to Christ. They were coming to realize safety. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't see this part, you'll never appreciate this part. And there's a sense in our world today that, that in many ways we've defanged God in a way. We've, we've muted who he is. We, in an attempt to be safe, we've just brought him down. In an attempt to be safe, we've made him less than God. We've made up our own gods. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not bringing God down, making him less than he is being less fearful of him. But the gospel is about really being fearful 
fearful to the point that you know you need to find a place of safety, that this God really is holy, that this God really does demand perfection. And as you despair of that, you look to find that he's provided a perfection that can be ours in his son. He's provided a protection that can be ours in his son. He's provided a way we can move to an unsafe place, an incredibly unsafe place. In fact, the most unsafe place you can ever reside. If you really knew how unsafe it was, you would run for safety to his son. And my fear today is because we've attempted to just kind of bring him down, there's no sense that the words when it says, those who are being saved, really hit us. What were they being saved from? From a place of great peril, a place that was not safe to safety. And that's what the table just told them every week, every day, if you will. They they came and they broke bread together. They were reminded of the safety in Christ. So they got it in the apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped together. They fellowshiped together around the table where they shared it together and saw it together and pictured it together. And then it says, and prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And to prayer. What's that about? What's that have to do with safety? It has to do with what I read this morning. It has to do with a text that we read together this morning. Listen again to it. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence. Why does the writer say with confidence? Because it was something new. In the Old Testament, even the greatest of the saints in many ways did not have the confidence of New Testament believers. The picture of God, even when they moved toward him, was one of incredible trepidation. I mean, you read stories in the Old Testament like this. You read stories of how they were to transport the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And the way they transported the Ark of the Covenant was to take bars and to slide them through holes and never to touch the the Ark of the Covenant. Never to touch that. And in fact, when they did, when when they were presumptuous enough to believe that their hand was more holy than the dirt that it was about to fall into as the donkey stumbled, they died on the spot. When you have that idea of God and his holiness and his righteousness, you are careful about approach. There was a wall. There was a separation. There was a barrier in the Old Testament continually. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, what does it say? The 
the, the veil was rent in two. What was it symbolic of that we could now come with a new kind of confidence? It wasn't that Old Testament people didn't come. But they had no concept of the new dimension of confidence. You see, praying, why did they pray? Because they could in a way they never could before. In a dimension that, that only the people of the Old Testament could hope for. They prayed. They had access because of Christ, not because of themselves, but because of the safety in Christ. They could come. He was their high priest now, and they could come. You see, all of it had to do with safety. All of this was a newfound safety. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayer, they had access and safety. That's what the gospel's about. That's what the gospel tells us. We are safe. We are utterly safe in Christ. We're going to continue this next week. We're going to come back to it next week. But let me just illustrate it to you here in closing. I need to, I need to close and we'll come back. But just listen to a prayer. Listen to a prayer that the believers had, that these believers prayed after, after Pentecost. The circumstances in Acts chapter 4, if you want to turn there, the believers actually here are praying for boldness in declaring the message of Christ, not boldness before God. But what happens here is Peter and John have been brought before the religious council, and and they're harassed, and they're warned, but eventually they're released. They, They can't find anything to hold them at this point, and so they release them. And so in verse 23 of chapter 4, they go back. Listen to their prayer. Listen to me if it has any hint of bringing God down in any way. I think you'll find it doesn't bring God down, but it does come to God with confidence. Listen. Listen to the prayer. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, They prayed. They prayed. This is what they prayed. This was their prayer. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, God above all gods. There's none higher. That's what sovereign means. You're the top. You call the shots. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see the rhythm of that? They didn't bring God that. They didn't change him. But they had a new relationship. A relationship in which they knew it was safe. They could come to this God 
they could pray to this God, this sovereign God, this creator God, this God in whom all the nations of the earth come against, but he continues to accomplish his purpose. Nothing would thwart his purpose in sending his son so that they could be safe. I pray that God will help us to be a people who hear the apostles' teaching. It leads us to deep fellowship. It leads us to wonder every time we come to the table and it causes us to pray in ways that reflect that we really believe that we're safe. Do you know the safety? Do you cherish the safety in Christ? The reality of that, that's what happened to the New Testament church. God showed them their safety in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning that the beauty of the gospel is that we are utterly safe in your Son. And I pray, Lord, that that will be the thing within your body here at Richland, knowing that safety that causes us to take risks for you, that causes us to pray, that causes us to declare this gospel to others so they too might be safe. And Lord, that it it would produce the gladness that it ought to produce in our life. Even when the difficulties of life faith is that deep down within us, there is a, an abiding joy and gladness in the safety of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's understandable why that song that we began with this morning has such power because it all has to do with Christ. All I have is Christ. Lord, help us even as we declare that in going today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew's going to lead us. I hope, I hope you understand it all is about Christ. Let's stand and sing together. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have. Hallelujah, Jesus.
Christianity is about a declaration that there's a place of safety and that place is in Christ. I pray that's where you reside. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to know the reality of that safety more and more. Lord, let it be the strengthening source in our lives. And I pray it will cause, even as it did in the New Testament age, for people to see it to see that gladness, to see a people who know the reality of that safety and be drawn to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's peace.